This morning we're going to read Mark 1, 21 to 39 on page 1002 of the Church Bibles. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of God. Micah, thank you. Uh, Morning, everyone. If we've not met, uh, my name is Matt Fuller, but most of you know that. And um, just one of the things was pray for, uh, the, the men's breakfast is next Saturday, the 23rd, thinking a bit about masculinity. Um which uh, is a very confusing topic in the, the current world, but that's uh, next Saturday the 23rd. But this morning we're in Mark. I'll explain what we're doing in a moment, but um, let me pray as we look at this together. Our great God and Father, we, we want to do what we've sung. We want to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. So we give thanks for him so that we resolve in our hearts to follow him. So, Father, please, teach us this morning, help us understand particularly his priorities in his ministry. Would we be those who are transformed to be like him? We do ask in his name. Amen. Well, there was an article in the press uh, this week, Thursday, I think, maybe. uh, We probably got it. Uh, A.N. Wilson, to resurrect the church, try the gospel truth. Now, um, a few will know uh, if you've been around a while, but for myself, it's a great delight, this is a double delight in reading an article like this. 
uh, in the 90s when I was commuting into the city and out, uh, in and out every day, and I had to buy the Evening Standard. Can you believe it? Buy the Evening Standard. I think it was only 20 pence, uh, so it wasn't too bad. But um, every Thursday in the Evening Standard would be A.N. Wilson ranting, fulminating aggressively against Christianity. He was sort of ahead of his time in terms of being an aggressive atheist. Before there was Richard Dawkins, there was A.N. Wilson. And uh, he wrote um, the, the book he wrote, which caused most of the stink, which he, uh, maybe the next one... Um, Maybe, maybe not. There we go. Uh, against religion, why we should try to live without it was the text that uh, uh, the great and the good were reading and celebrating. And then after about a decade of this passionate aggression, he said, do you know what? I think I'm wrong. I'm going to become a Christian. And so um, became a Christian. Now, he is a brilliant writer, so it's delight these days that he's on your side. Um, so if we go back to the original, the, the article the, 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 um, from the newspaper. Uh, he really went for it. Um, you can read it. Well, I don't know, it's behind a paywall probably, so maybe you can't. But uh, in the Times, Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning it came out. To resurrect the church, try the gospel truth. Faith thrives when worshippers are given Christianity in the raw, rather than the liberalism of the CV hierarchy. And he loads both barrels, and he fires them, and he loads again. And off he goes throughout the article. And uh, this phrase, not his phrase, actually he acknowledges it's C.S. Lewis's phrase of, Christianity in the raw. And so I said, what the Church of England, what a ridiculous institution it is. Um, let me give you a little extract. Christianity is in its essence contra mundum against the world. Its values invert those of liberal modern life. The hierarchy of the established Church of England is largely composed of men and women whose mindset is entirely shaped by a godless 21st century liberalism. So naturally, when they themselves are attacked by fellow liberals in the media, they run away for cover. They don't have the courage to see, let alone say, that these matters are entirely marginal. They have an awesome gospel they're commissioned to preach. That's what they should do. So there goes his Christmas card from Lambeth Palace. But um, it's quite strong. Stop trying to fit in with the culture. The world needs Christianity in the raw. The world needs the church to preach the gospel that Jesus preached. That's what it should be doing. Now, I turn to that because in many ways that's similar, or not the same, but similar to the problem the first disciples had. They needed to be told that's the purpose. That's why I'm here, says Jesus, to come and preach. In the last little paragraph, verses 35 to 39, Jesus goes off to pray, um, and uh, the disciples chase him down, track him down, and say, hey, what are you doing? Like, we've got a great thing going here. You're in this little town of Capernaum. You're you're preaching, yeah, but you're healing in these miracles you're doing. Everyone loves you. Um, We're fishermen, but all of a sudden, we're cool, because we're with you. Like, we love being your entourage, and everyone loves you. What are you doing? And he says, well, I need to go to these little villages in the sticks to preach. What? But it's going so well. You're so popular. Everyone loves you. Yeah, I'm going over there to preach. What? Why are you doing that? Because I need to preach. Because people need to hear Christianity in the raw. Much more than they need to be healed. Much more than they need miracles. They need to know who I am. I'm God's king, and I've come to die for them. 
and they need to put their trust in me. People need that more than anything else. Now, um, why we look at this date? So uh, I've put in the, the sheet, uh, one, uh, Mark 1, 21 to 39. We're going to spend two weeks, actually, in this passage. And um, because it's all one section, it's 24 hours in the life of Jesus. And I think Mark sets it up at the beginning of his gospel. Jesus' ministry looks a bit like this. Two things really get stressed. The authority Jesus has and we'll, um, over evil, over sickness, so his authority, and then the priority he has, which is to preach. And with mild eccentricity, I'm going to go for the preaching this week, the priority, and we're mainly going to look at 35 to 39, and we'll come back next week to 21 to 34, for no better reason than as we send off a group to plant a church in North Wembley, this seems a good thing to send them off with. They need to know that Jesus' priority was to preach the gospel. And they need to take with them Christianity in the raw. That's what's required. So really, just in verses 35 to 39, we'll come back for the rest of the 24 hours uh, next time. But uh, in these little verses, 35 to 39, it's quite simple. We look at Jesus, and his need was to pray, his priority was to preach, and his purpose was to save. It's very simple. Okay? His need was to pray, his priority was to preach, and his purpose was to save Let's work it through that. First, that his need was to pray. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So he's left behind, verse 34, the, the hordes, the whole town is gathered at the door of where he's staying, but he's run off to pray. Now, there are lots of sensible things you could learn from that. He gets up early while it was dark still, so 5 a.m., 6 a.m., depending on what time of year it was. And he goes to a solitary place so he's not disturbed, and there's wisdom in that. I think it's, it's rare to have spiritual growth without fixing your heart upon the Lord at the beginning of the day. I'm sorry, just just is. To take time to delight in him, to depend upon him, it's just rare unless you do that. But I don't think that's the main point here. It's not general advice on prayer. Three times, Mark, in his gospel, records Jesus withdrawing or going off to a lonely place to pray. So you get it here. At each time, um, it's when there's a choice. Jesus has got a choice. Is he going to take uh, an easy path of popularity or an easier path? Or is he going to choose the path of obedience and suffering? So whenever that choice is right there, Jesus withdraws to pray. So here, I think, in uh, chapter one, is he going to take the path of popularity? Everyone loves him in Capernaum. Or the harder path of just wandering around these villages, going from nowhere to nowhereville, preaching. Becomes a bit more acute in chapter six, after he's uh, fed the 5,000. Chapter six, verse 46, he goes off on his own to pray. And at that point, it's the crowd have tried to make him king. So he has a choice. I could become king of these people without much effort, or I could go to the cross and suffer and become a different sort of king, a servant king. King now, very easy. A servant king who gives his life to ransom people, harder. 
a choice. And he goes off to pray. And then the last time is in uh, chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do I have, well, it's, it's the horror of taking God's punishment against sin, of being abandoned by his, or cut off from his father. Is there another way, he asks, chapter 14. So three times, and Mark loves his threes, it's his number, uh, three times Mark records, Jesus goes off to pray. All significant moments of choice. Easy route, tough route of suffering and obedience. Three times. Now let me suggest, if Jesus needed to do that, so do we. What will define the ministry of Jesus? Three times it comes to a sort of uh, a fork in the road. Will it be popularity and easy success? Or will it be obedience and costly sacrifice? Jesus said, I need to just withdraw and get on my own with the Lord, my Father, and pray. And look, if Jesus needed to do that, can I suggest, so do we. Let me make three brief comments. Uh, One, in general, that's probably true. In general, you have to pray to follow the Lord's path and not your own unless you take time and a bit more deliberate time at points to center your life upon Jesus. You'll drift down an easier path of popularity and ease and fitting in rather than the path of Christianity in the raw, standing up for what's true, being clear on the gospel, that's true in general. And secondly, I wonder, here's an encouragement. You've got to pray at intense. You've got, excuse me, you've got to pray intensely at critical moments. There are decision moments. Am I going to move job, move city, move country, whatever it may be? I mean, do pray intensely about that. Uh, I think there's something into that. If I may broaden it out, pray intensely at the start of a new church plant those going, pray like you've never prayed before. What's your church going to look like? What are its priorities going to be? My third little comment, make of this what you will. I'm not sure anyone taught me to pray. I mean, I can pray out loud, right? You know, I know what to do. If I was a small group, I know what to pray. I don't, but in, what I mean by that is, I'm not sure anyone taught me to pray resolutely, intensely, consistently, relentlessly. That's a confession, right? It's not meant to be criticism of anyone. That's a confession. Um, I think that struck me this week, looking at this. And um, I'm not sure I've ever taught this church to pray. I mean, we could all pray, right? I've prayed with loads of people here. I know you can pray. Um, But again, deliberately, consistently, dependently. We are, I mean, it's not the be all and end all. It's only one little marker. We're about 400 on a Sunday adults plus kids. About 330 in small group adults. At the prayer meeting, about 100, 150. It's impossible to come when you've got kids. I know, I know. Do you remember my encouragement last year? Come online, join online. There's an online version. Grab your cup of tea, glass of wine, whatever it is, and sit online and pray. Because Jesus thought, I need to pray. I need to pray. And 
we have to know that we need to pray. And I wonder if my largest failure in 20 years here is I've not taught this church to pray, I wonder. But those going on Wembley Park, you've got to know that you need to pray. You have to know that. Look, Jesus, his need was to pray. Uh, Secondly, his priority, and this is the main point really here, I guess, his priority was to preach. So Jesus goes off at his own. Simon and his companions, verse 36, Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now that sounds very innocent. They went to look for him, a game, a little game of hide and seek. But um, the verb is quite strong. It has the sense of tracking down or hunting. Uh, it's used eight times in Mark's gospel, once here. Five times it's the religious authorities look for Jesus to kill him. The other two times it's his family look to control him and stop him from being um, uh, such a public figure. So it always has a negative sense in Mark. It's not all. I'm looking for, um, whatever it is, I'm looking for a cup of tea, please. Uh, No, no, I'm looking to control, I'm looking to kill, I'm looking to change your direction here. So everyone is looking for you. You've got it wrong, Jesus, going off on your own. Can we just call you back to your gig in Capernaum when you're popular and everyone loves you and we bask in your reflected glory. We like that. Can we get back to that, please? And he says, no. Jesus replied, verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I have come to preach. Now, Capernaum, the commentators tell you, it's a town. The town's 2,000 people, something like that. Villages, dozens, a few hundred. This is not glamorous to go be a worker, an itinerant preacher in villages of that region. But Jesus says, that's why I've come. Why did Jesus come? It's not to heal, not to do miracles. He says, I've come to preach. I've come to, what's he preaching? Well, presumably it's chapter one, verse 15, the first time we see him preaching the gospel. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. He's come to preach, I'm here and you need to follow me. I am God's king. You've got to follow me. It's a confronting message he gives the well-meaning, you've probably got to say that, haven't you? The, the well-meaning followers, these early disciples, they try to fit Jesus into their box. Great, you're here and you're popular uh, healer, miracle worker. Lovely, we'll have that. And he says, no, I don't fit your box. I'm going off to do this. Oh, we weren't expecting that. No, there's a lot more you won't expect from me. Now, of course, the modern world would also find this weird. If, I mean, if, big if, I recognize big if, but if Jesus um, was able to do these miracles and heal people, that's useful. Healing, 21st century, we still think is useful. Preaching, what a waste of time, uh, I guess is the 21st century uh, observation. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he focus on preaching rather than healing? Because his preaching can save people for eternity. My... Uh, my son is traveling at the moment in derailing uh, in a gap year, and um, he, they went to Poland, he and his mates, uh, Krakow. They're like, oh, I don't know if we're going to go to Auschwitz. It sounded like it might be a bit of a downer. 
Um, with the maturity of an 18-year-old. Um, I like, yeah, go. Um, and they, they did go. And he said, oh, thanks for making me go. Yeah, unforgettable, sobering. Don't quite know how to put it in a text. Well, fair enough. Um, but if you're there in 1943 in Auschwitz-Birkenau, and you're malnourished and a skeletal form, and someone says, hey, look, I'll come and I'll, I'll feed you, and I'll bandage up your wounds, and I'll make you healthy. That would be wonderful. But what you really want is a change of regime. Wonderful to be healed. Wonderful to get some food. But the chambers are still over there, right? You need a change of regime. You need someone to come and liberate you from the horrific evil. Healing is good, but moving from a place of death to a place of life, that is much better. Getting out is much better. And Jesus says, yeah, I can heal. I can do that all day long. Quite good at it. You'll have observed. But when I preach and people put their trust in me, I move them from a place of death to a place of life. They go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of my Father. That changes everything for eternity. That's why I preach. They've got to hear that. His priority is to preach. When he sends out his followers in chapter 3, he says, go and preach. The sermons may not be very good. But it doesn't matter. It's the content of the message that saves people for heaven. So as a gang go, as Scott uh, takes off this plant to Wembley Park, as was formally commissioned them this evening, uh, the priority must be to preach. There are lots of great activities to be involved in, and some of them are very useful and that they must happen. But the priority has got to be to preach. And those going with him, make sure that's still the, you know, Scott, are you setting aside like minimum 12 hours a week to work on the Bible? to prepare a sermon and to preach. Ask him that. You can't lose that priority because this is what saves people from death for life, forever. It's hard to keep preaching central. It'd be hard in a church plant. So much to do. Church life is so busy. But you've got to ask him. Keep that priority. Jesus, his need was to pray. His priority was to preach. Third last, his purpose was to save. Okay. Now, his priority here was preaching as opposed to healing, doing miracles. But the preaching is only a means to an end. It isn't that he was here for a few years, preached some cracking sermons. I mean, no one's read the sermons of anyone on this planet as much as Jesus has been read. I mean, they're the best sermons ever. I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, but it wasn't like, I've preached my greatest hits, I'm out of here. It was always a means to an end. Three times, again, in Mark, because he loves the number three, three times you get a purpose statement from Jesus. I have come to preach, he says here in chapter one. Just over the page, chapter two, verse 17, I've come to call sinners to me. Chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. You've got to hold those three together. <laughs> okay, you need all three of them, right? 
Otherwise, you'd be a bit imbalanced. So if you ask the question, why did Jesus, or if you asked him perhaps, Jesus, why did you come? I came to preach repentance and faith in me to sinners, because those are the people I've called, people who know they need me. And they should trust that I've died as a ransom for them. I've come to preach to sinners. I'll give my life for them. All of that. God hold all of that. That's why he came. He died as a sacrifice for sinners, for the lost, for you. For any of us, all of us locked in our sin. But this is Christianity in the raw. As Ian Wilson knows, this is what a, a liberal word hates. God is angry, yes. He's angry with all that's wrong in this world and he will judge it. Mm. But he's come in the person of Jesus to pay, <laughs> to die as the sacrifice for you, to pay off the cost of all the wrongdoing. That's Christianity in the raw. God is angry, but he's loving and has come to die in Jesus Christ, that great sacrifice. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we caught up with some friends in their 50s, empty nesters, their kids, you know, their kids have been through Alfred University or beyond, and um, uh, the, the, the mum uh, or the wife, she said, oh, good golly, uh, last week I had to go to a baby shower. You know, I felt very old. It's kind of them to invite me, but, uh, you know, early 50s, invited to a baby shower. Everyone's in their late 20s. Um, I was the oldest there by mile. She said, also, I'm quite English. She's very English. A sort of, sort of um, restraint. You, you, you know, she's just not heart on sleeve in that sense. Um, and we all had to write notes for the, 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 the mother-to-be, you know, when you're up at night and can't get some sleep, when the child can't feed, and we... And everyone's writing these notes, and we read, we read them out, and then she was going to put them in envelopes for these occasions, you know, little notes such as, you know, that you're up all night, you're, I know you're tired now, but your baby's so lucky to have you, you're the best mum in the world, keep going. You know, all these things filed away, this whole stack of, anyway, shed loads of notes in these envelopes, and she said, yeah, I was a little discordant with the mood. She said, um, you know, as I wrote down, you know, I'm up, I've been up all night for the third night in the row, barely got any sleep. She said, and I wrote down, uh, well, this is where it starts. <laughs> and believe me, this is not the lowest moment you'll have. <laughs> For your child, you will sacrifice your youth as you wrinkle and grey. You will sacrifice your money as you give so much to them. You will sacrifice your holidays as you do things you don't really want to do. And then they become teenagers. <laughs> and you think you're tired now. But wait until the emotional toll of stress of exams and anorexia and best of all, when you're spent, they stand in the kitchen and shout at you, I hate you. That's when you feel you've made some sacrifices. <laughs> she said, I wrote this, and they're all reading out their lovely messages. You're the best mom ever. You know, it's all great. It's all wonderful. You'll still look glorious. You'll still look stunning, even in the middle of the night. And then my note was read out, and I thought, ooh. 
I think I've missed the mood. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm just the old woman in the room. You know, I'm the 50-year-old in the room. It's <laughs> just joking. Um, it was a bit awkward. She said, but of course, you, you do it. I'm just being honest with you. And those of you, you know, others in the room, you know, just being honest, you'll make a lot of sacrifices. Why do you do it? Because you love them. You'll love this son that's coming. I've loved all my kids. Make all sorts of sacrifices. You do it because you love them. Jesus says, I've come. I'll take the hard path consistently, not a path of easily becoming king. I'll take a path of suffering. I'll take a path of obedience. I'll take the path of dying upon a cross. Because I love you. I'll make a sacrifice. I'll pay for all you've done wrong. Because I love you. He did it because not we're his children, we're his brothers and sisters. And he loves us. And he says, and that's what you need to know. He, this is Christianity in the raw. Both that you're facing justice for how you've lived. You're sinners, chapter 2. But I will die for you because I love you, chapter 10. And that's why I've got to go and preach everywhere these truths. That's why I've come. So for us at CCM, for the gang going to St. Augustine's in Wembley Park, can I encourage you, hold on to these as your priorities. Lots of things you can do. Life is always busy. But you've got to pray. You've got to maintain the priority of preaching and ensure that Scott does that. Because that is the message that saves. It seems so weak. But it's the weapon that Jesus says moves people from death to life. So you've got to hold on to that and these priorities. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, the Lord Jesus is extraordinary. Very briefly, we'll return next time, but very briefly, we look at him healing all sorts of sicknesses and illness, confronting evil in its rawest form and easily dismissing it in these impure spirits. And yet he says, more important than any of these things is that he preaches this message that this is a sinful world that needs him to die as a ransom. So, Father, please, for us as a church, for the guys going off, the gang going off to St. Augustine's, Father, please, would they commit themselves to these priorities, known as a church that prays, committed to preaching Christianity in the raw. God is a just judge, and the Lord Jesus Christ is an extraordinary saviour. Father, would you keep us, keep them committed to these things, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.